Welcome to Road World Football Show's Week 2 Recap Podcast. My name is Pat Corain. In just a few moments here, I'm going to be joined by everyone from the Roto World team who blurred the games for us today. We're going to be talking through some of the context of these games and get a sense of how players were scoring points, who looked good, who didn't look good, breakdown of backfields, breakdown of targets, etc. And also just kind of go through and take a look at some of the critical and key fantasy performances from Week 2. Let's get to the games. The Dolphins defeated the Ravens 42-38. to This was the game of the day, Denny Carter. Yes. Tell us about it. It was, it was incredible for fantasy purposes. I mean, these defenses just had no chance at stopping one another. The Dolphins threw everything they could at, at Lamar Jackson. Uh, they couldn't stop him on the ground or through the air. Of course, he had a uh, Lamar Jackson had a 75-yard scamper for a touchdown in which he, he went almost untouched. All the way to the end zone, uh, just all all the fantasy points all the way around. Really, really great, fun game for for fantasy. Uh, I will say that uh, this is like uh, two offenses, and you you mentioned this in your writing this week uh, that if they keep the their foot down on the um, pass rate over expected pedal, this could be what we see for a lot of the year. Not not exactly these results, uh, but the fact that these teams are very pass heavy. Dolphins and the Ravens, and we saw what that can bring on days like today, which is Tyreek Hill going bananas, Jalen Waddle going bananas, Rashad Bateman having a big game, Mark Andrews having a big game. Uh, so really, I mean, uh, could be a sign of things to come for both the Miami and the Baltimore offenses. Two things we like about this uh, situation for both these teams. They are passing a bit more than we thought they might, and they are very concentrated offenses. We right. know where the targets are going to go. Let's talk about the Dolphins first. Tyreek Hill goes 11 for 190 and two. Jalen Waddle goes 11 for 171 and two. Mike Desicki third on the team in receiving yards with 41. So this this is uh, this yeah. is about Waddle and Hill. 66 percent of the targets on the day went to Waddle and Hill combined. Uh, you can kind of I think you can kind of ignore the Gasecki thing because I mean you know four catches is is fine. The touchdown is fine. But the guy saw an eight percent eight percent target share, so you know, pump the brakes on any sort of Kaseki uh, uh, resurrection. Uh, I I will say that uh, for for a while, for the first three quarters, three and a half quarters, really, it was the Jalen Waddle show, uh, where Tyreek was used uh, primarily as a decoy in the first half in the backfield, uh, in the slot. They're moving him around a lot. The the Ravens defense was reacting to Tyreek, uh, and then that left Jalen Waddle open or in single coverage and he just ate the single coverage alive throughout this game uh so I, you know i i was i was a little worried about the 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 air yard split and the target share split between hill and, and waddle in week one but it does look like both could be if if again if they're very pass heavy uh both could be uh high end i don't know both could be wide receiver ones and ppr going forward yeah, both just almost went for 200 yards and scored two touchdowns. So, yeah. uh, I mean, this is a game where Tua did throw for six touchdowns, 469 yards. I mean, he went completely nuclear. And I think there's reason to there was reason to think going into this game that Baltimore would be a pass funnel. They were a massive pass funnel to close last season. They have injuries in the secondary. 
So, you know, I would expect this is probably the the most <laughs> passing yards that Tua has this season. Right. That seems yeah. like a pretty safe bet. <laughs> yes. But, uh, you know, still uh, very exciting that this is even possible for yes. this Miami team. What, what about the backfield here? Because Raheem Mostert led the team with 11 rushes, 51 yards. Chase Edmonds only had five carries for 33 yards. And Mostert had three receptions to Chase Edmonds, one. Right. So... I don't think anybody is going to be a great fantasy option in this Dolphins backfield, uh, but Mostert did start the game. He had all of the touches on the first two drives for Miami. Um, he ran one fewer routes than than Edmonds, which I wouldn't look too much into. Uh, Edmonds, a lot of Edmonds routes came late in the game. Uh, I think Mostert may have been dinged up a little bit. You'll be shocked to hear. But it, it it does seem like look Edmund was Ed, Edmonds was miserable in week one like like truly what, uh, Hayden Winks from Underdog mentioned that per Next Gen stats Chase Edmonds was the worst running back in the NFL in, in uh, the opening week so perhaps the Dolphins noticed that and they said hey we're going to give Mostert a shot Mostert is a, a veteran of this system uh, you know knows it well he's he's an older guy obviously so we don't know about the health but. I, I, I think we have to take notice that there was a bit of a takeover for most in this backfield. Yeah, that's definitely something to note. Uh, Rashad Bateman here led the way on the Ravens side with 108 yards and a touchdown. Mark Andrews not far behind with 104 yards and a touchdown. He had 11 targets to Bateman's seven and nine receptions to Bateman's four. And I was seeing some stuff about Bateman not playing all the snaps. So what was going on there? Yeah, the Bateman usage is is a little iffy. I mean, he... He ran 22 routes on the day uh, to um, at, out of a possible 31, so it's not not too bad. And, and obviously, like Devin Duvernay and Demarcus Robinson ran fewer than than Bateman, um, but he's he only played 36 of 58 snaps for Baltimore. So uh, again, like in Week One, uh, it worked out. You know, if you started Bateman, you're very happy about about what you see in the box score because he got that long touchdown and. I'm not taking away from him because he he is an explosive player. Like he caught that ball uh, on a, on so, something of a crossing route and just took it the distance, and nobody could touch him. You know, it seemed like a very explosive player uh, as he did last week when he outran the Jets defense for a long touchdown. So these these long touchdowns I think are going to happen for Bateman, and that's great. There will be days though where the the five or six or seven targets that he gets in this offense is not going to get it done. I just I think fantasy managers need to remain realistic about what's in store for Bateman. Yeah, and this is the type of game environment where if he's not running all the routes, or if he's not even coming close to running all the routes, like a very like a game they lost where the Miami stormed back and beat them. Like if he's not running all the routes here, maybe he's not a full time player. It's a it's a bit concerning. Yes, I, I think I think it is concerning. And then you know on the other side you have Andrews just dominating targets. Yeah, I know you highlighted him in your column this week. Thank you for doing that. You got me, got me uh, some 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 monies in DFS. So uh, hopefully you had Miami bringbacks with them. Yeah, I, I I had Tyreek in, and okay. uh, for a while I was I was I was just bitter bitter as hell about not having Waddle, <laughs> but it turned out okay. Uh, so yeah, and Andrews again led the team in targets. He had a quiet week one, um, but you know, like last year. Uh, he went off in large part because the Baltimore defense couldn't stop anybody. And the offensive plays for the Ravens went through the roof compared to previous seasons. We could have a similar formula here. Yeah. Uh, the backfield, I feel like there's really nothing to say. Uh, just let's, let's hope oh. JK Dobbins gets back soon. Uh, yeah. Really gross. 
Uh, Lamar Jackson, though, did run for 119 yards and a touchdown through for three more with 318 yards passing. Anything to close it out here on the quarterback performances? Uh, Tua got it done in an ugly way, I'm going to say. Uh, and I know Dolphins fans are upset with with me saying that both of his long uh, deep shots to Tyreek Hill, uh, which resulted in two touchdowns, both of them were underthrown, but they were. They were underthrown. <laughs> You know, hey, he's, it he's the most accurate quarterback Tyreek's ever played with. Uh, look, <laughs> when when Ty- so Tyreek is so fast that it doesn't matter that they were underthrown because he yeah. could just sit there and wait for it like a punt. Okay, so you know, <laughs> hey, it works. It works. Yeah, I mean, can't argue with the results. <laughs> All right, let's move to uh, the Cincinnati Bengals. The zero and two Cincinnati Bengals yeah. shockingly defeated by Dallas at the last minute field goal. Uh, let's start here with, uh, let's, I guess we should start with Dallas since they won, uh, thoughts on yeah. Cooper Rush's, uh, debut start here as he takes over for the injured deck press out. Oh man. It was, it was very frustrating. Uh, I, I'm sure for Cowboys fans, but also for fantasy players, uh, Cooper Rush was good last year in his, in his start against Minnesota. He threw for over 300 yards, a couple touchdowns. He was on his way today to having a really nice outing against the Bengals and Kellen Moore and the Cowboys just hit the brakes as soon as they got a lead. As soon as they went up 14-3, they said, it's time to establish. And they gave it to Zeke over and over and over again. And on the time, so so basically what they did is early in the game, they're throwing on first down, they're throwing on second down. They get a lead. Now every single first down is a run. Every second in, in, in medium is a run. And then Cooper Rush has to convert third and five over and over and over. He can't do that. So uh, it, 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 terrible play calling. I think I think it could have been a great game for Cooper Rush. He averaged almost eight yards uh, you know, per attempt, uh, 235 through the air, um, one touchdown. He was only sacked once and really didn't face much pressure at all. So, you know, I, I think he's serviceable. I think, you know, th- you're pretty happy to have him in super flex leagues going forward, I think. Yeah, and Lamb going 7 for 75 here on 11 targets. It feels like, okay, maybe we'll yeah. get something from Lamb here. Yeah, I mean, he was quiet. So, like, everybody uh, was quiet. Noah Brown, who was, you know, seemingly like the wide receiver one for a while uh, somehow, uh, he finished with five catches for 91 yards, like you said. Uh, you have C.D. Lamb finishing with uh, seven catches for 75 yards. Uh, both of those guys, again, you know, could have had much bigger days if the Cowboys would have remained aggressive as as they were in the first quarter. Uh, it's worth noting that that C.D. Lamb dominated targets, had 11 targets. Uh, Brown only had five. He I happened to catch all five. Uh, Tony Pollard was actually second to Lamb with with seven targets. Uh, he caught a, a short little shovel. Uh, early in the game and uh, took it 46 yards down to the one inch line um, before he punched it in for a rushing score. It, it would have been a, of course a receiving touchdown and one that uh, Cooper rush could have got credit for, but uh, mm. not quite, not quite. I, I, I think it was pretty good usage overall for, for CD lamb. I do think that you're, you're pretty much stuck with a wide receiver too right now. Yeah. Uh, on the Bengals side, uh, T. Higgins returned from his concussion to lead the way with 671 and a score. Jamar Chase was held to 5 for 54. Joe Burrow overall threw for only 199 yards and one touchdown. Uh, I saw him take a bunch of sacks. Yes. Uh, thoughts on this passing game? It's bad. Like uh, last week, they were very predictable, the Bengals. Uh, this week, 
also very predictable and and uh stale they just look stale there's very there's there's not much effort to like disguise what they're doing uh to move guys around to get them in favorable positions it's just like you know hey jamar hey t you go out you get open okay and that that's that's the whole offense and joe burrow Were both of these uh teams coached by mike mccarthy it sounds like it honestly and uh, zach taylor is calling plays I, I wouldn't be surprised if he gives that up eventually. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it's uh, it's awful uh, right now for the Bengals. And, and you know, Joe Burrow's under constant duress. You know, s- he sacked six times today against Dallas. He was sacked five times against Pittsburgh last week. Uh, you know, the, uh, you know un- innumerable uh, hits uh, for, for Burrow as he drops back in obvious pass situations. Uh, it's 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 pretty ugly, and I I like I blurbed I I don't know if you can be confident in starting Burrow in twelve team leagues uh, next week or anytime oh, soon. Mixon here had fifty seven yards on nineteen carries. He did have twenty six receiving yards on three receptions. He had four targets. Seems like maybe we're getting a little bit more of the receiving volume this year than at least doubters like myself thought we might, right. but. Still not a great game, but but any thoughts on Mixon here? Well, yeah, I mean, last week Mixon, you know, mixed in. I didn't mean to do, <laughs> uh, do that, but uh, pretty well in the passing game. Uh, you know, he had seven catches on nine targets, I believe, for yeah. for sixty three yards last week against the Steelers. Now that was a little inflated by the by the offensive snap volume that the Bengals had. Uh, in a in a back and forth game where they were coming back for three quarters, but yeah, I, you know, it, it, yeah, I think it is. I think it is pretty hopeful for Mixon because, you know, as we know, Mixon is is not an efficient producer, and so he's going to need all the touches he can get in this offense. And you know, maybe maybe he'll get it or he'll get something close to it so he can remain in that RB one territory. In the Cowboys' backfield, did Jerry Jones have to come down on the field to make sure that Zeke continued getting fed? Because because Pollard seems to have pretty clearly outplayed him here. It's uh, it's remarkable. It's it's so frustrating, just from a, a just from a pure football fan standpoint, where you you really want to see Pollard get a chance uh, to 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 do what he can do, and it's just the most boring up the middle stuff for Ezekiel Elliott over and over. He got 15 carries here, 53 yards as three and a half uh, yards per tote. Uh, he had one decent run, which was an 11 yard run early in the game. So he has that going for him, which is nice. But Tony Pollard, you know, he, Tony Pollard had nine carries for 43 yards, almost five yards per carry. He had the uh, touchdown. They, they let him, which is nice. I have to say Cowboys. Thank you for doing this. They let Tony Pollard, have the one yard touchdown after he was called down at the one yard line uh, after an explosive run. Um, but yeah, no amount of wish casting is going to make this uh, backfield flip. So we have to come to grips with that. All right, Denny Carter. Thanks so much. Thanks. The giants defeated the Panthers 19 to 16 and are now two and zero for the first time since 2016. Lawrence Jackson, this maybe wasn't like the most exciting win for the Giants, but hey, it wins a win. Right, right. And in the NFL, they are hard to come by. And uh, Brian Dable mentioned that afterwards. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a weird two and zero, but uh, two and zero nonetheless. It was a very scrappy win. Defenses played well on both sides, or quarterback play was inconsistent on both sides. It was a mixture of all of that. 
but uh yeah man wins a win and the, and the giants are uh the giants are two and oh yeah and if we combine both of these quarterbacks lines together now we would have over 300 yards and two touchdowns individually both guys went for under 200 yards uh both of them did and each only had one passing touchdown let's go ahead and start with the giants Richie James led the way here with five for 50, 51 on six targets. Sterling Shepard led the team with 10 targets, but only had six for 34. I think we should highlight the fact that there may have been a benching here with uh, Kenny Galladay, who did not see a target. I believe only played a couple snaps. Uh, there were some uh, stories coming out after the game that, you know, his locker was was cleared out pretty quickly after the game or something. I, keep an eye on that if you're listening, because uh, it sounds like maybe – like a true benching under was uh, put in place here with David Sills kind of playing over him. And then I should also note Tony Kadarius Tony was started three times. He only uh, had, he had two receptions, but for zero yards. Yeah. um, Very bizarre situation going on here with the Giants wide receivers. As you see Kenny Galladay, the high price receiver that they signed a year ago to the big contract now being uh uh, David Seals is playing in favor of him. Uh, he ended with four targets, three catches for 37. Uh, Kadarius Tony, their first round pick from last season. Uh, now he started the game and the Giants wasted no time in getting him the ball. Now, although it is first uh, two targets, he gained no yards. It made you feel like, okay, he's back. He's going to be part of the game plan. Uh, no, not even anything close. He had one other target. He was wide open, but Danny Dines missed him. It, it was, in fact, not a dime that he threw on that play. But other than that, man, he's just not involved. And uh, Richie James is continuing to be impressive for this lackluster uh, passing attack. And then you got the veteran Sterling Shepard, who's there. He's always around. You know, he's always going to dominate targets when he plays with 10. Didn't do much with him. There was a lot of, you know, nickel and Danny Diamond going on. In fact, uh, Daniel Jones' first nine completions only went for 48 yards. So it, mm-hmm. it took him a while to get going. They had to get tough yards through the air and through the ground. They only they only scored one touchdown, uh, kicked a lot of field goals. So, it was tough out there, but yeah, definitely worth noting that Kenny Godday might have pulled the Antonio Brown uh, on the Giants, but I guess we'll see soon. Yeah. Saquon Barkley here. Any thoughts on him? He went 21 for 72 on the ground, uh, had three receptions for 16 yards on four targets, didn't get in the end zone, didn't quite have the same kind of breakaway juice this week, it seems like, and didn't have quite as much receiving going. Yeah, it, it was tough yards all day for him. It seemed like the Panthers came out. They well, they they saw that game last week, and it was like we got to stop this guy. And it's a pretty big. It, it's a good bet that if you can stop Saquon Barkley, the Giants' offense ain't gonna do nothing. So he got tough yards. He was able to get to over seventy rushing yards because in the fourth quarter, he started you know getting some six and seven yard runs here and there. But it was uh that they pretty much shut him down until the end, but he made uh good runs at the end of the game to kind of seal the win for him. Let's talk about Christian McCaffrey on the other side. He had 102 yards with 6.8 yards per carry. Uh he had four receptions for 26 yards. Yet I feel like the expectations for him are so high that this is gonna be a game where people are 
are going, what's wrong with, with Christian McCaffrey? Why isn't he scoring me the 30 fantasy points that I want? Well, yeah, it's kind of, it was, what's crazy is these two offenses are very similar. Um, and it's because of the similar uh, production that they're getting at the quarterback position. McCaffrey was pretty much bottled up too the whole way in the running game. Fourth quarter, he uh, exploded for a 49 yard run that uh, helped him get over that 100 rushing yards. But, you know, other than that, he was getting yards here and there. You know, Baker Mayfield, you know, knew where to look to uh, when, when, when he was in trouble and even still didn't get that many targets. But, you know, it, it was a tough day for him as well, but a tough day for him and still getting 128 yards from scrimmage is uh, solid. Definitely wasn't a great day, but – that 49-yard run definitely helped. One thing you can say for the Panthers passing game is not much, but it is concentrated. DJ Moore had six targets, went three for 43 with a touchdown. Robbie Anderson had five targets, went three for 32. And then Christian McCaffrey had five targets. Uh, Shai Smith actually had six, yeah. but he only had one for two. So I guess that, that would be a little bit of a problem if he continues to, to have a lot of targets and time for the team lead. But normally we can at least count on Moore and Anderson and and more got in the end zone here. Yeah, um, Shy Smith could have had some some decent plays. He had some key drops uh, in, in that game that uh, prevented the uh, Panthers' drives from uh, going forward. But yeah, this is two games in a row where you see DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson dominating the targets. It's just really hard to make good with those targets because there's either always pressure in Baker Mayfield's face. Or he's throwing it behind his lineman's head or something. So it, it's it's still a work in progress uh, with this offense. If you could see, he didn't get to 50% completion percentage on his passes. So that's uh, something that they're going to have to correct. Luckily, uh, DJ Moore, who is able to uh, break free from a Giants DB and get – he was wide open for the touchdown. Like Baker Mayfield couldn't miss him. He wide open there. So uh, we were thankful for that. If you got DJ Moore, you thankful for that. And then, then he had another big catch that pretty much saved him from having a real ugly day fantasy-wise. Yeah, we are thankful uh, for when Baker can hit the wide open DJ Moore. <laughs> uh, <laughs> thank you, Baker. <laughs> but All right, Lawrence, that'll do it. Uh, appreciate it. All right, man. Have a good one. You too. The Bucks defeat the Saints 20-10. to The Buccaneers getting their first win in New Orleans since 2018. Kyle Dvorak, this one didn't seem that exciting, but the Bucks do pull out the victory. Yeah, exciting is not how I would uh, I would describe this one. I mean, neither team really got much going. The Bucks just sort of slowly squeaked away, not making as many mistakes. Really, not, not, you know, not making a ton of egregious mistakes where the Saints, like, were probably offensively roughly as incompetent uh, in terms of like the the median, but their bads were very bad. You know, three Jameis interceptions, a Chris Olave lost fumble. And when you make those kind of mistakes, your opponent can afford to put up 20 points and, and still win the game. So really not a great showing from either side, you know, especially the Bucks come in with a lot of receiver injuries, a lot of offensive line injuries, and that was instantly apparent. Yeah, and the receiver injuries, uh, we're talking about Chris Godwin. We're talking about Julio Jones. 
Uh, Russell Gage was kind of banged up coming into the week. Rashad Perham was banged up coming into the week. Mike so Evans Mike was Evans. banged up coming into the week. They all played, though. Yes. Mike Evans um, did lead the way with 61 receiving yards, but didn't score only at three receptions on four targets. Uh, Gage led – oh, actually, Scotty Miller led the receivers in targets, led the team in targets with eight. It was kind of spread. Like, I thought this might funnel to Evans with all the injuries, but it was pretty spread out. Yeah, the there's a a double Lattimore effect going on with Evans, which is first that like Lattimore plays really well against him, and he played well against him in this game. He gets in Evans' head, he plays physical with him, and that's not something like six four, two hundred something pound Mike Evans is probably typically used to. And the double effect was that uh, Evans got ejected for fighting Lattimore right. in I think it was the third quarter. Um, so obviously he misses out on the end of the game, but you know the offense wasn't like churning while he was there. He didn't miss out on some great closing to the game, but yeah, it doesn't help. Uh, uh, you know, your odds of leading your team in targets don't help when you miss part of the game. Lattimore was also ejecting the fight, though. Uh, like, this is on Evans. <laughs> he, like, came from the sideline and just ran Lattimore to the ground. Then they kind of tussled, and Lattimore gets ejected for it, too, which maybe he deserved it, but Evans definitely deserved it more. So, ugly <laughs> spread out game for a team that was sort of, uh, I think that's probably a symptom of teams that are sort of discombobulated, is you're just sort of panicking to throw it to anyone who's around, and that's how someone like Scotty Miller gets eight targets and does, like, next to nothing with them, three for 34. Yeah, I kind of buried the lead there with Evans getting ejected, which, um, yeah, as you noted, he came from the sideline. I think Lattimore was in a scuffle with, like, Fournette. There was a, Brady. a pretty mundane uh, scuffle as far as – it wasn't an ejection-level scuffle until Evans showed up. He's it was seemingly <laughs> walking off the field, or at least off to the side. I don't know if he's walking off. It was it was maybe penalty-worthy, but I'm not even sure about that. Until Evans showed up, then it was ejection-worthy. Yeah. Uh, Leonard Fournette had a bit of a disappointing day as well. He had 2.7 yards per carry going – 24 for 65 on the ground. Um, and in the game like this, I you know, you think maybe Fournette would soak up volume with Brady not trusting his receivers, but he only had four targets going two for nine. And it's not like Rashad White was involved. Uh, he only had two carries for one yard and only two targets, neither of which he caught. So, you know, the volume could have been here for Fournette in terms of him just capturing the backfield, but just wasn't wasn't a very valuable day for the backfield. Yeah, I think that's sort of the the operative point here. He, you know, he outcarried Rashad White twenty four to two. Uh, you know, no one out, no other running backs got any run. Giovanni Bernard left this game with an injury, but he wasn't. I, I assume he suffered the injury on special teams because he didn't have a touch up to that point. And Rashad White, as you noted, um, two carries, two targets, which he didn't catch. Uh, outside of it being a bad fantasy day, this only reaffirms our sort of confidence in Fournette as like truly one of the league's like workhorse backs, both in the red zone in terms of his ability to draw targets. The only downside is that we thought this was such an exciting role for Fournette because he's getting all the red zone work and he's on this up tempo pass heavy offense that's going to get in the end zone a lot and just put up points from all from all distances. That's not what we've seen so far. So maybe he looks more like David Montgomery if this offense is truly as sputtering. And and the offense is is definitely in sort of a sputtering state right now. So you love the role for Fournette, ironically, and you don't like the offense up to this point. Obviously, that can change, and we kind of expect it to change. They have Tom Brady and, when healthy, really good receivers, but kind of do want to see it change soon. (laughs) Yeah, I think this was coming into the week. It felt like this could be kind of a low point for this offense and so maybe they'll they'll rebound here soon hopefully let's talk about the saints uh chris olave 13 targets that's pretty nice but as you noted a costly fumble went five for 80 michael thomas got in the end zone here on nine targets going six for 65 with the touchdown uh Juwan johnson got another seven targets going four for 40 
bit of a quiet day for Jarvis Landry. He only had four for 25 on five targets. Uh, and Jameis, overall, not that great of a day, 236 and a touchdown, three interceptions, playing, as they noted, to begin the game with some fractures in his back. Uh, thoughts on this passing game? Yeah, it's difficult to say with Jameis what would be, uh, you know, the four fractures in his back that supposedly couldn't have been made any worse by this game. He was wearing padding, and, and supposedly this is as bad as it could get. Like, it's not a risk of further injury situation. Not sure how true that is, but he, he did play all the way through the game. It's always difficult to tell with Jameis what would be the injury and what is his erratic play, because that's just who he is, right? He will go out in a game, and in this instance... Like you said, he he was just absolutely lighting up Chris Olave with targets, and he was throwing to Olave deep, and he was not coming close on these throws. And eventually, finally, he gets the one Olave throw that connects, and of course, Olave, that's the one he fumbles as he tumbles to the ground and just pops out of his hands. So, you know, I'll, I'm, I'm not a doctor, and even if I was, I wouldn't be able to talk to Jameis Winston, so I don't know what part <laughs> of this was him just being Jameis, just doing the Jameis thing where he is completely erratic one week and then throws for 400 the next week. Uh, to me, though, he did have a very poor game, as the stats allude to. There's there's nothing to sort of mask behind stats here. It, it is simply just a very rough game from his overall accuracy perspective. Maybe it changes in the future. Like I said, he's a very high volatility player. But the good news was that if they're going to be losing games, he is going to be bombing it to Chris Olave, which is kind of the best case scenario if this offense is going to be bad. I think there will be better days ahead just by Jameis having a strong arm and now having good weapons to throw to. Thoughts on this backfield, or are we just hoping Alvin Kamara gets back as, as soon as possible? I mean, Mark Ingram ran fine, averaged six yards a carry, showed some good, like, short area burst. He's not, you know, obviously he's not going to be a breakaway runner, but he didn't look sluggish. He does also. We talk, talk about the, the amount of mistakes this team made. A red zone fumble from him as well, but he kind of cleanly secured the starting role on an offense that maybe as they face weaker opponents than the Bucs, and specifically the Bucs defense, that things will go better. But He's, you know, a, what, 30-something-year-old Mark Ingram, and he's not going to get at least the entirety of the work. They gave Dwayne Washington four carries. They gave Tony Jones a pair of carries. So he's not that sort of Mark Ingram of old or Latavius Murray did the same thing, where they inherited the entirety of the Alvin Kamara role. He's not going to be that, but if Alvin Kamara is out, he is going to be flex-viable-ish. All right, let's move to the 49ers who defeated the Seahawks 27-7. I will not bury the lead here. Trey Lance suffered suffered a broken ankle early in this game. He's going to undergo season-ending ankle surgery. Yeah, I mean, that's the, you know, the story of this game is just easily what, uh, you know, the, the worst fear was as soon as you saw him go down is that he, I think someone tried to even help him up and immediately he can't get up, gets in the air cast and carted off and you know, Schefter within an hour or less even says, yep, need surgery. It's over. Garoppolo comes in, plays well. They, the Seahawks never threaten in this game. Their seven points weren't even offensive points. They were a blocked field goal return for a touchdown. So you didn't really need to see much from Garoppolo for them to sort of just salt away this win. But he played fine. He actually had a, a nice deep throw to Ayuk that was dropped. And then sort of the Garoppolo story is kind of the same way we talked about Jameis. Uh, very poor deep throw to Danny Gray, I believe. So up and down game from Garoppolo, but not much was needed to be asked of him. And to be fair, he you know hardly like practiced with the team during the summer. I know he knows the system, but I think just getting in a rhythm would have helped him throughout the summer. And he doesn't get that, comes into a game he wasn't a starter. So I think this offense, maybe not next week, maybe they still tilt toward the run as they get Jimmy up to speed. But I think it looks, and it generally tilt toward the run anyways, but I think it'll look like we've seen with Jimmy in the past. And for me, that's like, all wheels up for, for Debo Samuel, who didn't lead the team in targets this week, but looked as explosive as ever. And I don't think they're going to use him in the running back 
specific role, like the RB2 role, which to me is a good thing. Like I, I want Debo to be alpha wide receiver one Debo, not Cordero Patterson, right? Cordero Patterson is good, but alpha Debo is great. Yeah, and with Jimmy Garoppolo back there, I, I, th- I completely agree. I mean, I think we're going to have probably a more consistent passing offense now than we probably would have at least over, you know, the next like four or five weeks. Lance, maybe if he had gotten a chance to kind of develop, would have turned into something down the line, but certainly looked pretty raw uh, in the very limited snaps we got from him this season. Let me ask you about Jeff Wilson Jr. and Tyrion Davis-Price. Jeff Wilson had 18 rushes going for 84 yards. TDP had 14 rushes, not too far behind, only 33 yards, uh, 2.4 yards per carry compared to 4.7 for Wilson. So not great for Davis Price, but this is a guy who was a healthy scratch last week, Mm -hmm. and he got 14 carries. So uh, definitely a little intriguing. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, a decent amount of his work came towards the end of the game, but they weren't pulling the starters, right? I think they were just trying to, you know, having afforded themselves a little bit of breathing room, see what they had in Davis Price. And, uh, you know, like you said, it was 2.4 yards per carry. He really didn't do all that much, but he did get taken down in the backfield multiple times, which there's nothing obviously he can do about. And Jeff Wilson did get good running lanes. He's also a pretty good running back, just a hard runner, hard to take down. So he made the most of his work and it could have been a particularly good game for him. But Kyle Juszczyk gets one in the end zone and... And Jimmy Garoppolo gets one. They even tried to get Kyle Juszczyk a second. He got stuck. Yeah, I had I had Wilson in, uh, in an important GPP lineup, so I'm familiar with the Juszczyk. As, as did I have a, have a few Wilson lineups. And uh, that was the one thing. Uh, TDP got stuffed at the goal line as well. So they clearly seemed to favor Jeff Wilson. He got the start, and he got most of the run. TDP worked in later in the game. But throughout the game, they were giving everyone goal line work, which if that's that's not really the Jeff Wilson MO, though, they usually do let him control that goal line work. So maybe a bit fluky there. But as always, the teams that use their fullbacks around the goal line will have some particularly frustrating weeks. I like what I saw from Jeff Wilson, though. Like, I, I think when I do my rankings next week, he'll probably come in as like a low end RB2. TDP, some flex value, especially if this team, like we expect them to be generally pretty run heavy. That's the only of the Shanahan tree that they truly do tilt toward the run. Also seems like contingent value. Like he seems like absolutely. Uh, Let's go to the Seahawks here. Uh, This kind of feels like worst case scenario for the backfield. Now Rashad Penny, Kenneth Walker, both healthy, both splitting an early down role, only 10 rushes total between them. Six for Penny, four for Walker, both average 2.5 yards per carry. Travis Homer mixed in for two rushes as well. Travis Homer got four targets. So yeah, we've got two early down only backs. And uh, they play for the Seahawks, Kyle. Yeah, they boy, do they play for the Seahawks. A very Seahawks <laughs> game under Geno Smith in which he has a high completion rate, goes 24 of 30, and he had a high completion rate the last week as well. And they're just stagging on offense because really I think his completion rate is just a product of team saying, you know, like, yeah, we'll give you layups because you just can't beat us only throwing layups. So to me, the offense is going just to continue sputtering. The offensive line didn't look great in this game, and it was a near 50-50 split for the backfield, less than 50-50, you know, 50-40-10 or whatever it happened to be just in the carries alone. So uh, this was, as you said, worst-case scenario. They're splitting a bad backfield. Honestly, they'll both be ranked quite low for me. Uh, You know, when at all possible, just play running backs on better teams. I did see a pretty nice catch by DK Metcalf in this game that I believe was called back. Brutal. It was like a 51-yard catch where he he mosses the guy, right? If you don't know, you go over top of them and just secure the ball 
fighting them physically. And it's what DK Metcalf does. And it, it was called back by uh, holding at the line of scrimmage or something, uh, oh something off like that. Something, you know, maybe not so related, at least not related to DK Metcalf. It wasn't like it was an offensive pass. Interference. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I mean to say. It wasn't his fault that the, the holding uh, or whatever it was came up. It was a beautiful catch. And that's what he does. He's DK Metcalf. And it's real shame that that was the sort of one exciting play for the team that got uh, obviously called back. Lockett goes over 100 yards here, though, on 11 targets, 9 for 107. I think that's almost worst-case scenario, too, for this team, because now <laughs> we're we're saying, like, this team is capping out. I think through two weeks, they're averaging, like, 196 passing yards a game, obviously a small sample. But you've got 200 passing yards to divvy up, and you mm-hmm. don't have, and this was the fear all along, a one alpha wide receiver because Lockett is still incredibly talented. And in this game, it looked like Geno Smith was just trying to get him the ball in space, take, take the layups to the guy who's short, speedy and can beat defenders. Some games DK Metcalf will out physical cornerbacks. He'll be open. And that's who Geno will go to. But I think this is the fear all along is that we don't know who the wide receiver one is. It's probably DK Metcalf, but in any given week, he can go on skunky for four for 35. So it's the backfield all over again. Are you dropping Noah Fan at this point? Two targets. Will Disley also had two targets. Yeah, I'm, it's I, the the distant distant third re- receiver. You know, receiving option, and third might even be generous because Will Disley is matching him in production on an offense that I just said like. If I don't want to play DK Metcalf on this offense, which I, <laughs> I struggle to, I'm not playing their committee tight end. Yeah, that seems fair. All right, Kyle Dvorak, thank you. The Lions defeated the Commanders 36-27 to in a game where Amon Ross St. Brown has now tied the NFL all-time record for eight with eight straight games with eight-plus catches. Zach Kruger, very impressive stuff here from St. Brown. Yeah, very impressive stuff. You mentioned that he tied the record for uh, most consecutive games with eight straight passes, which is also eight games. So a lot of a lot of eights involved there. But the other two two names that he tied uh, for this record, you may have heard of uh, one, Michael Thomas, and the other, Antonio Brown. Uh, so it's so it's you know those those three elite receivers. I guess Amara St. Brown's a part of the elite now with with eight receptions. Um, once again this week, he actually finished the day going 9 of 12 um, on his targets for 116 yards and two touchdowns in today's win against the Commanders. He had two plays of 40 or more yards, one of which was on a reception, and the other one was actually a 58-yard run late in the third quarter just after Washington had scored a touchdown. looked like they were mounting a comeback on the very first play of the Lions' next offensive possession. St. Brown broke off a 58-yard run and nearly took that one to the house. So it was a really big day for him. Uh, we'll get a little bit more into some of the other players, but you know, great great record for Monroe St. Brown and, and what was really, I think, a, a, a great performance for this team against uh, a commander's team they probably should have won, uh, at least, at least you know, beaten. It, it, it wasn't really like it was this, you know, overmatched team from the start. Yeah, or certainly earning the name uh, the Sun God, which which his name, I believe. Yes. So, yeah, pretty, pretty, a very fun uh, start to the season for Amon Ross St. Brown. Josh Reynolds, I'll note, had three for 38 and a touchdown. DeAndre Swift had two, th- two for 31 receiving and a touchdown on five targets. Uh, I believe he had a really long run, right? And then kind of the same story. He, he didn't uh, get the goal line work, but then I don't believe that was punched in. But 
what was uh, Swift days like? Yeah, Swift, so Swift, as we know, he he was questionable heading into this week with the ankle injury. He said he was going to play. Um, there, there was a little bit of a reason to doubt that throughout the week just because he, he didn't really log, I don't think, any real full practices. But he did, in fact, play in this one. I would say he was limited by, by my accounts. He didn't lead the team in rushing attempts. That went to Jamal Williams. But Swift overall on the day. Um, he had 10 total opportunities. He had five carries for 56 yards, and then he had another two receptions for 31 yards and a, a really impressive 22-yard touchdown um, later on in the second half of this one. So he did have that 50-yard run that you you mentioned that came early in the first quarter, I believe. Just once again, there was two, tw- twice on the day the Lions had plays of over 50 yards. Uh, they happened to be on the ground at both times. They just got run down by the defense and were able to capitalize on the score. So both St. Brown and Swift could have had bigger days in those regards, but for a guy who was supposedly playing on a bum ankle, I thought Swift looked very good. His 22-yard reception was actually a fall down on the play. He, he kind of dove out to catch a, a little bit of an errant pass from Jared Goff, hit the ground, was completely down but not touched, got back up and outran Washington de- Washington's defense towards the end zone. So assuming there was no setbacks for Swift, I, I like him heading into next week's game against the Vikings. I thought he looked good overall. And he's gotten some hate as kind of an in-between-the-tackles runner. That 50-yard run I'll note was, was right up the gut. Yes, yeah, up, up, up the gun on the left side, I believe, and then he hit the sideline and was eventually, I believe, forced out of bounds by the last defender, if I remember correctly. Any thoughts on TJ Hawkinson before we move to the Commanders? Uh, three for 26 here on seven targets. So he did get you know a decent amount of target volume, but just feels like Amon Ross St. Brown is soaking up all the target volume here, and it's making it tough to count on anyone else. Yeah, so the good thing with Hawkinson is I, I would say if there's any good to take away, it's the fact that he had a seven-target day. It's it's back-to-back games in which he's had seven targets. I, I think for a tight end position, if we assume that a few more of those are caught for a little bit bigger gains, then maybe you know a seven-target day a lot of tight ends can get by on and they'd still be worth that low-end tight end one flex spot. So I, I do like Hawkinson from a volume standpoint. Uh, at least from what we've seen on back-to-back weeks. But to the to date, he has seven receptions for 64 scoreless yards. It's not exactly what we were looking for from him. I thought in this game he looked a little bit off with Jared Goff at times. There were a couple times where they were just missed throws uh, from Goff to Hawkinson that I'm not entirely sure were, were necessarily Goff's fault. It just kind of looked like at times the two were on the same page. Hawkinson had at least one drop that I'm aware of that was close to the goal line. Uh, just, or I'm sorry, just close to the line of scrimmage. Uh, Goff pitched it out to him. He dropped it. It just... It, it, it was a very uninspiring effort for a game where the Lions actually looked pretty solid on offense overall. Um, so I'm, I, I'm optimistic that Hawkinson is going to eventually convert some of this volume into more meaningful fantasy production, but it, it, it's going to be kind of a little scary next week to roll him out there again. He's, I would say he's definitely a low-end tight end one just because he's had at least back-to-back seven target games. As I look at the commander side of things, it just feels really spread out. We've got 28 yards on the ground for Gibson, uh, 21 yards on one carry uh, on the ground for Curtis Samuels. There just wasn't really any production in the backfield. And then as far as the receivers go, we've got Curtis Samuel, who had seven for 78 on nine targets. Terry McLaurin, four for 75 on eight. Jahan Dotson, four for 59 on five targets. Samuel and Dotson both scored. J.D. McKissick got seven targets going seven for 54. Logan Thomas got targets. John Bates got targets. Antonio Gibson got targets. Dax Milne got targets. Cam Sims got uh, two targets. So it's just, I don't know, like we don't really need this, you know, with this with this offense, I feel like. Uh, any thoughts on this passing game that it feels like it's going to be hard to count on guys in? 
Yeah, so I, I think the two that we're probably going to be safest with to this point, at least at least early on, is going to be McLaurin and then Curtis Samuel. So Samuel has really just kind of been the guy that through the first two weeks, you can tell that they're willing to use him ac- across you know various spots in the formation. He had another carry in this one where he ran for 21 yards. That was in the fourth quarter. Another nice run by him um, on what's been like his third or fourth carry this season. But he's looked good on the ground when given the chance. And then he had nine targets and he led the team in receiving again. Uh, just you mentioned earlier, seven catches for seven eight yards he had a 15 yard touchdown in the third quarter so I think Samuel is rather reliable um, at, at least heading into next week against the Eagles um, I like him a lot and then I also do like Terry McLaurin obviously we would have liked a little bit more out of him four catches on eight targets for 75 yards he did not score in this one but as you mentioned Washington is really spreading the ball around uh, a lot and then the one thing that I thought was a little bit frustrating uh, just as, as someone who saw the way Antonio Gibson just dominated last week's game against the the Jaguars was that Washington decided to go ahead and, and work JD McKissick into the passing game more and Gibson less McKissick saw seven of seven or caught seven of seven targets for 54 yards um, and then Gibson only had two receptions in this one for for 13 yards after having a big game last week against Jacksonville through the air. Um, so I know that they're facing a negative game script, but I would kind of have thought that maybe after a solid game through the air uh, that Gibson saw last week, it would have just kind of been Gibson again through the air this week against the Lions, and that was not the case because it got worked in more, which is going to be frustrating for Gibson managers who really just saw a, a rather pedestrian day salvaged by a touchdown. We don't usually talk too much about defense on the podcast, but I do just want to ask you quickly about the Lions defense because it seems like they're definitely way friskier than last year where teams could kind of do whatever they wanted against them. Agent Aiden Hutchinson had three sacks in this game. I believe there were another uh, two sacks by the defense in this game. Just a pretty strong performance by the defense. Uh, Not like a shutdown performance. They did let up 27 points, but, you know, maybe some steps in the right direction here. Yeah, some steps in the right direction for sure. I don't think playing against Jalen Hurts did them any favors last week in terms of their pass rushing ability and what they may have wanted to do against a quarterback with a little less mobility. But in in the first half of this one in particular, the Lions defense pretty much by all accounts shut down uh, Carson Wentz and the Commanders. Uh, it was a 22-0 to beating at halftime. The, the Lions were dominating in every facet of the game. Hutchinson's three sacks actually came on the first half of that one. Uh, and the Lions also forced the safety of Carson Wentz in the end zone. Um, so so I thought the Lions defense overall looked really good. I, th- I think it's still somewhat a, a team that's a, a little bit devoid of talent at various areas on the defensive side of the ball. And that showed up with some of the second half efforts that Washington put forward and being able to move the ball downfield a bit more. But you know, they pinned their ears back. They got after it. Aiden Hutchinson was really impressive. He he was playing the second half on mostly a bum leg, which he says is, quote, just some football stuff after the game. So it sounds like he'll be good to go for next week. But it was a really fun uh, game to watch from the defensive side of the ball for the Lions. And then the only other thing I would add real quick is on the defensive side of the ball for Washington. The Lions put together a very impressive nine-play, 77-yard drive in the second quarter in which they did not face a third down. Uh, Jared Goff really gauged the commander's defense on that one, and that happened a little bit throughout, but that one really stood out to me was just Washington's inability to get after Jared Goff in the second quarter on a 77-yard drive. Um, It'll be interesting to see how Washington matches up next week against the Eagles. Yeah, I think they might not match up that well on, on defense. Well. <laughs> <laughs> you, you might be on to something. <laughs> All right, Zach Kruger, thank you. All right. Thanks a lot, Pat. Have a good one. The Jaguars defeated the Colts 24 to zero. This is the eighth straight loss for the Colts in Jacksonville. They haven't won there since 2014. And Patrick Darty, this was the first time since week 13 of 2018 that the Colts were shut out. That was also against 
the Jaguars. A lot of not same there. You know, the same meme on Twitter, a lot of not same. I have not lost eight straight games in Jacksonville, nor have I not been shut out twice by Jacksonville twice in the past four years. Uh, Real, real, real down bad. And, yeah, I mean, one of the worst games of Matt Ryan's career. I mean, he has an alibi, of course, and Michael Pittman and Alec Pierce are out. So no real boundary presence to speak of. But that doesn't explain five sacks. That doesn't explain three interceptions, two of which were just really bad throws. The third was a pass batted at the line of scrimmage. But so just, just not a good game from Matt Ryan. You know, easy for me to say from home, but seemingly not a good game plan. You know, you're missing Michael Pittman. And you're missing Alec Pierce, and you somehow only designed nine carries for Jonathan Taylor. Jonathan Taylor only had 10 touches. They also kind of had something cooking with Naheem Hines in the opening series. You know, the, the always rumored Naheem Hines in the slot usage was looking pretty hot on the opening drive. Two catches. Uh, then he doesn't I, – I don't know if he caught another pass the rest of the game. Something totally crazy. I think he had like three more touches the rest of the game. So he caught another pass or two. But Hines came out hot, then nothing. Nothing scripted or designed for Jonathan Taylor. You know, th- there's no other pass catcher produced, but what do you expect? It's Ashton Doolin. It's Mike Straken. How do you even say I this? I think Strawn. Strawn, that's right. They were saying it during the game. And I was like, I've never heard this name pronounced this way before. But it makes a lot more sense than what I've been saying. <laughs> nothing for Mo Ali Cox. Nothing for Kylan Granson. N- nothing for Paris Campbell. Real, real bad day for Paris Campbell. Zero catches on two targets even though I believe he led the receiver core in both snaps and routes. So, Mm. you know, they're running low on bodies, but they did not make up for it with game planning. Yeah, I guess the Taylor stuff, it it is very perplexing. And one target going one for nine, nine carries, as you mentioned. It's not like they were giving carries to anybody else. Uh, No, and and it's not like, too, he was getting brick walled. You know, obviously the Jags could, like, camp out on the running game. Because they know Michael Pittman, they know there's no passing game threat there. But he had several big runs, angry, violent runs. He wasn't getting hit for like one or two games, that type of thing. It was one of those things that I just, as a as a lay person, could not figure out what was going on in real time. Just what could have possibly been the reason? See, the offense was going so bad, it could have just been one of those situations. Like I don't care what we just need to come out and just give Jonathan Taylor three straight carries on this series and kind of see what happens. There was just none of that. Huh. On the other side, James Robinson got 23 carries, kind of the workload we we thought we might see here for Jonathan Taylor. Uh, thoughts on him? And he only averaged 2.8 yards per carry, but he did score. He got two targets going two for 14. This this recovery from the Achilles tear has been pretty remarkable. It has, but it was also pretty postseason-y Cam Akersy when you mm-hmm. look at it a little more because, I mean, 23 carries for 64 yards. That includes his 37-yard touchdown. This is a 37-yard score, too. That was not the Colts' finest defensive moment. It was just an up-the-gut run. The C's kind of parted. They missed two tackles. You take away his touchdown, which, you know, you can't do. You don't take away a guy's best play, especially if it was a touchdown. But you take away the touchdown, it was 22 carries for 27 yards. And, you know, this is a game yeah, where they're playing with a two-score lead the entire game. Just – which, of course, I guess plays into it. Very predictable running situations, but he was brick wall. Or I said Jonathan Taylor was not brick walling. Uh, James Robinson was just brick walling. He did out-touch Travis Etienne, though, 25-12. to 12. Etienne, it wasn't like one of those things like, well, Etienne had almost as many yards, you know, and half as many touches. He did not. He only had like 30 yards. 
So just not a good day for the Jags running game. But yeah, I mean, certainly if you're a James Robinson manager, you really like the commitment because you have 25 touches in the second game off the torn Achilles. Uh, commitment doesn't really get more clear than that. Travis Etienne at least had three targets going three for 30 here. But yeah, it's, that does feel kind of like worst case scenario for Travis Etienne, at least in terms of like we thought early in the season, maybe this would be his backfield. And that is not the case at all. Yeah, and is it? I mean, can you even pinpoint an area like where he has the advantage? Because it doesn't even seem like he's like the clear cut like pass catching back over James Robinson. It just seems like James Robinson kind of has the advantage in every area, and of course has a big, big advantage as the early down runner. Let's talk about Christian Kirk, who had two touchdowns in this game, going six for seventy eight on six targets. Evan Ingram actually led the team with eight targets, going seven for forty six. So kind of a nice showing from the tight end there, but. Kirk continues to kind of be what they were hoping he would be. He does. And Kirk's a guy where only six targets, that's a number that would have been a lot higher if the Jags were playing with a two-score lead the final 38 minutes of the game. So they, they just had no incentive, you know, to get the pass game pumped up. I think I think uh, Trevor Lawrence went from 42 attempts in week one to only 30 on Sunday. So there could have been a lot more targets for Christian Kirk, who, yeah, I mean, he was he was being schemed open. He was adding a little yak. You know, two really nice touchdowns. Uh, I mean, frankly, I think he's underpaid. And the contract, <laughs> wow. uh, the NFLPAs, I tweeted this, but I think they're fine. They're really upset because he set the, the wide receiver pay scale back five years by taking too little money <laughs> in free agency. So, he's yeah. They, really flipped. I know, I know. So, But so far, they are really getting what they paid for. But Christian Kirk, because, yeah, there wasn't, there wasn't anyone else making plays in this pass catching group, the Evan Ingram catches were nice. I mean, he only averaged six and a half yards per catch. That did, that did show there was some pretty nice yak from Evan Ingram that did not show up in the box score. He was getting a lot of really short targets. He had a, a stiff arm of Stefan Gilmore where he had like seven or eight yards after the catch. You know, Zay Jones didn't do anything. The biggest play in the passing game would have been a 40 yard touchdown to Jamal Agnew, but it kind of went right through his hands. It wasn't like a, straight up drop it would have been a difficult catch but it was a catch that also he could have easily made and so other guys aren't making plays but Christian Kirk uh, was making the plays so it seems like Trevor Lawrence had a pretty good game then he went 25 of 30 he probably like you said would have had more passing attempts if they had needed you know they're, they're shutting out the Colts on the other side so you don't need to go to the air 235 two touchdowns and maybe another touchdown if Vagnum makes the play yeah so he, he didn't make a ton of big plays um, he wasn't quite as accurate, I would say, as 25 of 30 would indicate. But no turnovers, no sacks taken. There was also a Marvin Jones drop mixed in there. So, yeah, another another game where maybe he's not, like, blowing the doors off the building yet. But back-to-back games for Trevor Lawrence definitely looks like he's beginning to move on from the Urban Meyer era. That's nice to see. Let's go to the Cardinals, who defeated the Raiders 29-23. to They came back. From 20 to nothing to win in overtime. Uh, should note in this game that James Conner suffered an ankle injury. So, yeah, one of the most insane games of the year. I mean, we're in week two. But Kyler Murray, I think, at 53 yards at halftime. It was the horizontal raid had never looked more horizontal. Just <laughs> awful, awful football. I mean, awful play calling, awful execution. Kyler Murray doesn't really get a free pass for his first half. And then it revved up after halftime, even though it, in a lot of ways it didn't rev up. They're kind of like kicking the ball around, so to speak. I mean, A.J. Green dropped a touchdown. He dropped the ball at the one-yard line. 
both this late in regulation as they're desperately trying to tie it. They take a delay of game on a two-point conversion. They had several other uh, clock management issues. Um, just a lot, a lot of really small Green mistakes. Green almost dropped the the game tying two points. Yes, conversion. he, he did. Forever. Yeah, AJ Green is, was one of the classic. Was more accurate to say the two point conversion caught him uh, than he <laughs> caught the two point conversion. So, like, really, really sloppy Cardinals football. But they finally started making some plays. Marquise Brown honestly seemed like he was playing like a gear faster in the second half. Like he was kind of like playing, finally playing in the rhythm of the offense. Zach Ertz was doing like the classic, like Jason Witten, where he's just, he was just moving the chains. He did have a false start. I don't know what was up with the Cardinals and clock management. That's the whole cliff era, but he was doing like the classic Jason Witten, just move the chains. They got a big play from our, our guy, Greg Dortch. Um, so it basically looked like a team that knew their season was already going to be over if they lost this game and somehow figured out a way to win the game. You know, a real boomer analysis there, but they found a way to win, folks. Well, you know, it kind of looked to me like, you know, whichever Madden game it was where Vic was just like unstoppable and you just, <laughs> yeah. you just sat back with Vic for like 10 seconds and then just ran once everyone was downfield. I mean, I saw Kyler Murray do that like three or four times. It was their best play. This is not an exaggeration. So they had to get two two-point conversions to tie this game, the second of which was the pass to A.J. Green. The first was a play. This is not a joke. 20.8 seconds. The Raiders dropped eight or nine people into the end zone. Kyler just kind of like danced around for a while. Eventually enough people collapsed to the middle of the field, and he got the edge to run in for the two-point conversion and it, it was 20.8. So I don't I mean that might be the longest play in football history. Uh, like you just simply do not see that. And they still, after all, after committing, like basically the play they called was do not let Kyler run this into the end zone. And then he still ran it into the end zone. He also did that on the game tying touchdown. It was not quite that dramatic. Uh, he ran it in the, it, basically the game was a testament basically to his singular playmaking ability which is when he's healthy is, you know, as good as like Josh Allen, as good as almost anyone, as good as Josh Allen, maybe a stretch. But if you like need someone to like pull a rabbit out of their hat, Kyler Murray is as good as anyone in the league. Also a testament to maybe like not the, the original play not being very good since the, yeah. <laughs> all of their best plays are just waiting until the previous play is expired. There's nothing yeah. left to do. Waiting for Kyler Murray hero ball and him actually doing it. Uh, hero ball is a very, very, very tough recipe in the NFL because you got a lot of heroes out there on the defense willing to just knock your lights out, and they usually do. But uh, Cliff and Kyler got away with it on Sunday. Let's talk about the backfield um, because, as I mentioned, Connor hurt his ankle. We saw an even split then from Daryl Williams getting eight carries and Eno Benjamin getting eight carries, but Daryl got the touchdown here. Uh, and it's, it struck me as I was watching that post Connor, it seemed like maybe Daryl Williams had the lead, even though Benjamin has been playing clearly behind uh, Connor to date. I think he did have the lead. And so Connor, yeah, it's an ankle, not a great sign. If you know his injury history, if you control F ankle on James Connor's internal rotor old page, you're going to get a lot of results. And it was also back. So they, they did a, a new tape job. They showed him trying to get loose on the sideline for a while. So like, he made a real effort to get back into the game and just couldn't get back into the game. And after Connor went out, I saw someone tweet this observation. I can't remember who it was, but I thought it was pretty spot on where it's pretty similar to the Cardinals 2021 backfield 
where Darrell Williams and Eno Benjamin were kind of like almost evenly rotating snaps and plays and didn't necessarily have defined roles, but there was definitely leans where Darrell Williams definitely had the lean on early downs. Eno Benjamin definitely had the lean on like third downs. And it would be safe, I feel like, to project that for week three against the Rams if James Conner sits, which here's late Sunday night. It seems like he would have to be considered truly questionable, maybe on the wrong side of questionable. And that, yeah, Darrell Williams is going to be the guy who probably gets the first crack at those really, really valuable short yardage and goal line carries. Any thoughts on the rest of the receivers here? You mentioned Zach Ertz kind of doing his Jason Witten thing. Marquise Brown also had 11 targets going six for 68. Dorch got in the end zone, but uh, I guess it's specifically on Brown, like it'd be really nice if he could emerge as a, a real playmaker here. It seems like maybe a step in the right direction, but he's not there yet. Yeah, it's just frustrating. They're getting closer. They actually had a fourth, I think maybe a fourth and goal target kind of at like the one yard line where they just couldn't quite connect. And over time, Marquise Brown had like a really big gainer that was going to put them in like commanding field goal position. And he just took a massive hit and the ball got knocked out. It wasn't like a soft cough up or anything like that. It was just like a ball that basically no one could hold on to. And it would have been their longest gain of the day, I think like 30 or 35 yards. And it seemed like they had no chemistry in the first half. It just seemed like, yeah, they were both operating more in the rhythm of the offense after the break. And then maybe they are getting closer, Kyler and Hollywood. What about on the uh, Raiders side of the ball here? Uh, you know, Devontae Adams scored a touchdown. but I believe that was very early on and then uh, only finished with two for 12 on the day. Hunter Renfro lost a fumble at, in overtime, which then led to a defensive score, which ended the game. So it's kind of a, a tough day for the receivers, but they combined for 17 targets, Renfro and Adams. Yeah, it was, it was interesting because uh, Devontae Adams' target – came on the quote-unquote scripted opening series, but I think they were maybe out of script because it was like an 18-play series. And it was like a real fast, like, quick out. It was from the literally the one-yard line. It was a one-yard touchdown. Uh, and it seemed like uh, people were saying he was getting locked up by Byron Murphy. I mean, I know he's a solid corner, but uh, I, I don't know. I didn't know if Byron Murphy could, like, lock up Devontae Adams. And so they took away Devontae Adams, and he Derek Carr compensated by, I think he has eight targets, I think, to Hunter Renfro and maybe also eight to Darren Waller, but Renfro did not make the plays. So he had the fumble six. It, it wasn't just a fumble that led to a touchdown. It was a fumble six. And two or three plays before that, he also fumbled. So he fumbled twice in overtime. Uh, not what you want to see if you're looking for a playmaker to step up behind Devontae Adams. Also got a concussion evaluation. Darren Waller was a little more encouraging. They got him one-on-one with a linebacker in the end zone. And they were like, well, we should probably just immediately score a touchdown here. And then they did. Uh, very Come easily back. scored a touchdown on Ezekiel Turner. So, yeah. Uh, so, Derek Carr knows there's going to be weeks for defenses sell out to stop Devontae Adams. He's going to have to be able to get the ball to his number two and three. He did do that. They just didn't really oblige on Sunday. Yeah, I had it as uh, the box where I'm looking at Renfro had 10 targets, Waller had eight, and Adams had seven. On the backfield, feels kind of disappointing here for Josh Jacobs. He gets 19 carries, only goes for 69 yards. It's a game, as I mentioned, that the Raiders were up 20 to nothing in. Uh, they were up uh, after the, the, the Cardinals finally scored. The Raiders then kicked the field goals. They were also up 23 to 7. So it's like they had a lot of positive script uh, in this game. That 23 to 7 score was with, was in the third quarter. So I don't know. I mean, like, what more can you hope for for Josh Jacobs, considering Zamir White had one for two, but it's not a lot of production here. Yeah, there's not more you can hope for because Teacher's Pet, you know, Brandon Bolden was inactive. 
and he handled 20 of 22 backfield touches. And yeah, you what you get 70 scoreless yards. He had two touches from inside the six yard line. Uh, and the, like the very first quarter, uh, didn't convert the one from the six. Then he got a carry from the one and didn't convert. So you're not the kind of day that's going to make Josh McDaniels be like, Oh, we got to get Josh Jacobs more work. Um, so uh, yeah, but they're so I, committed I, to him. I'm sure. I know Exactly. So on a day where everything broke right for Josh Jacobs, the stats did not. No, they did not. Anything else on this game or should we close it out? No, we should probably close it. The game was definitely one of those vision quest games and, you know, it screwed up my entire Sunday night schedule. And, but I, I it was pretty funny. It was worth sticking around for. And uh, I, I thought Cliff, I mean, I, the Cliff firing seemed imminent. And then again, sorry to recycle another tweet. I think Cliff decided midway through the third quarter, he could not get fired because he could not handle being Nick Saban's offensive coordinator and he needed to just win this game. <laughs> <laughs> then they oh man well now i'm bummed the, the cardinals won the Raiders <laughs> but yeah no check right. check this game out on game or nfl plus if that's something you do <laughs> all right patrick darty thank you my pleasure the broncos defeat the texans 16 to 9 the broncos now held to 16 points in two straight games rivers mccown this nathaniel hackett offense isn't quite clicking yet no, I think when you have a Andrew Beck handoff on third and one that you can, you know, just think about that, what it means for this offense, and really come to the conclusion that this isn't going well. How many delay of games uh, did we have in this game? It just feels – so one of the things I saw on Twitter is that the fans were literally chanting down the play clock in this game like in an NBA game because of how bad the Broncos have been – and actually just getting to the line and getting the snap off in time. Yes, they, they had more than more than two, more than three, I think maybe four or five. And uh, one yeah. of them cost them uh, the opportunity to kick a field goal early in the second quarter. So, yeah, it was uh, – <laughs> man, it, this, is, this whole thing is just rough. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's, let's start with Cortland Sutton because, uh, you know, seven for 120, 122 yards – on 11 targets, pretty nice day for Sutton. Um, this is with Jerry Judy being knocked out of this game, so targets consolidating a bit to Sutton. Uh, thoughts on him and, and his uh, pretty decent day here? Um, he had a touchdown catch overturned in the first quarter. Hmm. Uh, he also drew a long DPI on Derek Stingley. So, I mean, they had kind of a fun battle for the first half, and then Stingley kind of fell off, and – they played more zone, and uh, Sutton was wide open for his 35-yarder, which was his longest, I think, you know, not even the Texan in, in his vicinity. So, uh, looked good, obviously. Um, Fantasy-wise, you know, if, if Jerry Judy is out, that does help him out a lot. It helps you make the case that he could be a wide receiver one next week. I'll note that Albert O did not catch a ball in this game. He had two targets. Uh, Eric Saubert also had two targets going one for 22. Just seems like because you also have you mentioned Andrew Beck getting a carry, but you know he's kind of involved as like this H back type. Just sort of frustrating with like the ancillary pieces being kind of spread out. Yeah, Alberto dropped one of his uh, targets too, so that didn't help him at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he was untargeted for the entire second half. So <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know who to trust in this passing game right now besides Sutton if uh, Judy is out. Thoughts on the backfield here? Javante Williams had fifteen for seventy five. Uh, rushing Melvin Gordon had 10 for 47. So both backs ran pretty well. And then Javante had four targets only had one for 10 receiving. 
but did uh, lead Melvin Gordon, who only had one target, going one for six. Yeah, pretty much more of the same uh, from what you guys had expected for you know the last you know week one, and then probably the last five or six weeks of last season, which is pretty even backfield split. Javante looks like he's got fresher, better cuts. Um, doesn't see the holes quite as well as Melvin Gordon, so Melvin Gordon keeps getting carries, and both backs have value. Was this sort of like ineffectiveness from Russ here to only throw for 219 yards? He had a touchdown and interception, only uh, completed 14 of 31 attempts. Or was like the Texans defense playing pretty well? Or what are your what are your thoughts on that? Um, I mean, it, it kind of a little bit of everything. He did have a couple drops, as I said, uh, with Alberto. Um, he also, you know, had some plays where he would kind of stand around the pocket a little bit, like he wasn't sure where he was. Um, <laughs> it was it was not a great game for him. I would say that much, but I think maybe kind of given the lack of targets that he had that he trusts, maybe maybe a little bit excusable. But yeah, uh, <laughs> looking at week three, uh, looking at the 49ers defense, looking at how Russ has played this season, I'm kind of like, oh, I don't know about QB one here. Yeah, moving to the Texan side, Damian no, Pierce. Don't do that. We don't, we don't. <laughs> Our, our Texans it. expert, Rivers, who never wants to talk about the Texans. Don't do it. <laughs> uh, Damian Pierce had 15 carries for 69 yards, uh, and Rex Burkhead did not have a carry in this game. So this flipped back kind of to what our pre-week one expectations were, at least for the rushing part of this backfield. Yeah, Damian Pierce took almost all the early down snaps, as far as I could tell. Um, obviously had all the carries in the backfield besides uh, – the amazing third down and short Jeff Driscoll plays, which I can't get enough of. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Pierce looked really, looked really good. He had a lot of tackles that he busted. He had, he was running into a lot of guys on Denver's defense and finding ways around them for the most part. Uh, almost no red zone work because the Texans don't really believe in that as a concept. So um, other than that, they'll look good. <laughs> um. Brandon Cooks led uh, the team in targets with 10, going four for 54. Nico Collins had nine targets in this game. Uh, interesting to note, I think, four for 58 for him. So, you know, Davis Mills only threw for 177 yards here. There wasn't a ton of production. But interesting that 19 targets went to Cooks and Collins. I think that's good at least. We want concentration if we're not going to have a ton of volume overall. Yeah, the Cooks uh... – the Cook stuff was pretty usual. When he found open space, I mean, he you can still go get it. He did drop a ball in the end zone, so I mean, he is the the one the one thing holding him back from uh, the good fantasy week this week was himself. And mm. then with Nico, almost uh, you know eighty percent of those yards came on the two catches after the Broncos actually scored a touchdown. So uh, not really productive down to down. A very inconsistent player, but. Yeah, you are looking at those nine targets and you're like, okay, maybe this can be the start of something for the Texans with them. All right. Anything else to note or are we done talking to the Texans? Uh, man. Uh, <laughs> can I just say that you should drop Brevin Jordan? <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's good to know. Yeah, Brevin Jordan had four targets going two for three. I mean, you know, pick up Juwan Johnson or something. Move. I think it's time to move on. He had uh, – I want to say I'm looking this up before I, before I say something incorrect, but he had one target. Uh, sorry, two targets and got five yards in his opening game. So this is a trend now, where our preseason guy has 
six targets and eight yards. And that's what I would call hard to do. Yeah, and Farrell Brown had five targets in this game, going three for 24. O.J. Howard had another target. So this is a – you do not want tight end by committee on this team, and I think we very much have that. So I, I do think we can cut Brevin Jordan pretty much everywhere. Yeah, that's probably the right move at this point. All right, Rivers, thanks so much. You made me watch the Texans again. How dare you? <laughs> the Jets defeated the Browns 31-30. to Nick Chubb got three rushing touchdowns here, but Garrett Wilson had a second touchdown to win the game as the Jets come back. Nick Menzio, kind of an exciting game here from what I thought might be a, a sloggy Jets-Browns game. Yeah, I mean, it looked like the Jets were – I mean, the – Browns are going to win pretty easily at the end there, but uh, the Jets with two touchdowns with less than two minutes to play. They had the Corey Davis long touchdown, uh, and then they recovered the onside kick, and then Flacco marched right down the field again to Garrett Wilson. Second touchdown of the day, 15-yarder, right in the middle of the field. Um, he looked great today. He took a lot of snaps from Braxton Barriers who came to this with a heel injury. So they were running out uh, Garrett Wilson, Corey Davis, and Elijah Moore as their main three-wide set. So hopefully that sticks. That would be exciting. Um, get this from a four-man committee down to a three-man group. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, this was an exciting game. I mean, it looked like Chubb was going to will the Browns to victory, but Flacco, elite, four touchdowns, baby. <laughs> yeah, elite Joe Flacco back from the grave. Garrett Wilson, 14 targets in this game. He went eight for 102 and two touchdowns. I mean, it seems like you can't keep this guy off the field going forward with this type of performance. No, yeah, I saw a stat that he uh, ran 21 of his 37 routes from the slot today. So, get him the high percent high percentage looks in the middle. I mean, it seemed like he would be a better fit on the outside and Elijah Moore inside. I don't know if that's what they'll do um, going forward and Corey Davis on the other out, outside spot. But I don't know. I, but these guys are exciting. I mean, if if we can get Barrios out of the mix, um, I definitely like Wilson more, his stock more as like a wide receiver three coming up. For sure. Brees Hall here and Michael Carter both had seven carries. Hall went for 50 yards. Carter went for just 23. That's 7.1 yards per carry for Hall and 3.3 for Carter. Carter had five targets, though, going five for 27. Hall only had one target, but he did score a 10-yard touchdown on it. Yeah, the interesting thing here was Ty Johnson was more involved this week. He played 13 snaps, and it was all on like third downs, passing downs, and two-minute usage. So that could pose a problem for the Michael carter Brees Hall thing if Ty Johnson suddenly enters the mix now too. So, I mean, I didn't like this back for the beginning with two guys splitting stuff down the middle and a uh, quote-unquote bad offense. Not today. They weren't bad. They scored 31 points. But, I mean, if Ty Johnson enters the mix, it's hard to trust any three of these guys even for RB3 usage, really. That's like a legit concern. I, I, I hate to hear that as someone who does have some Jets running backs on my teams. Uh, let's move to the other side here. Nick Chubb, as I mentioned, got three touchdowns. He rushed 17 times for 87 yards. He also had three targets going three for 20, 26 uh, through the air. Hunt uh, was involved, though, with 13 rushes for 58 yards and two targets going two for 16. Yeah, I mean, these guys are splitting stuff right to the middle per usual like last week. Um, Hunt had the big game last week, and now it was Chubb's turn to do multiple touchdown damage this week. So these guys are both RB2 plays every week. I mean, Chubb's got the RB1 massive upside every week too, so I mean, he showed it this week. Um, I mean, this, these guys are going to be the backbone of this offense for the next nine games, I think. Yeah, 
nine more games till Deshaun Watson comes back. But yeah, I mean, you're starting these guys every single week. For sure. And then Amari Cooper had 10 targets in this game, uh, going nine for 101 and a touchdown. Donovan Peoples-Jones, only one target. So is he, you know, kind of back to being a pumpkin here? Yeah, that one target was a sick catch on the on the uh, boundary in the end zone there, but he was only get one foot in, kind of was juggling the ball on the out on the on the way down. So his touchdown didn't count. They initially called it one, but they re- reversed it, and then Cooper got the touchdown on the next play. So, um, yeah, I mean, I expect Cooper to be fed the ball from Jacoby Brissett every week. Um, Peoples Jones, like last week, that was pretty much a fluke. I feel like, um, yeah, I, I, I don't see any reason to even really roster Donovan Peoples-Jones in 12-team leagues. Um, Yeah, that's about all I got on that. (laughs) All right, well, let's move to the Rams, who defeated the Falcons 31-27. to Bit of a nail-biter here for the Rams, but Cooper Cup kept doing his thing. He now has 100 yards uh, or more 15 times since last season. Yeah, I mean, you could see they were trying to force Allen Robinson the ball early in the first quarter, and then, like, he got his touchdown in the first quarter, his one-yard score, and then Matthew Stafford back to old reliable, just peppering Cup with targets in the middle of the field. I mean, it's just, it's Cup or nothing for the for, for Stafford, and then, like, Higby is, like, his favorite check-down target, and then, like, Robinson is just kind of left there as the third guy, it seems like right now. Um, I think he's been out-targeted 20-7 to by Higby in the first two weeks. Um, and then Cups blown past both those guys. So only seven targets for Robinson in two games. I mean, that's kind of concerning, but he did get on the board with that touchdown today. I think it's just going to be a slowly working him back into the into the mix here, into Stafford's good graces, trying to get used to him. So I don't know. It's It was good to see him score, but, yeah, it's kind of getting hard to fire up Robinson as anything more than a wide receiver three every week too. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Tyler Higby, seven for 71 on nine targets. He always seemed – I believe he dropped a touchdown in this. He had one bounce off his hands, I think. Yeah, uh, and then he – and then Stafford, like, threw him another ball in the end zone that was easily picked off. So he's like – Higby always gets these targets in, like, the money areas, but he never, ever does anything with them. It's like he can't make contested catches. He, he can't almost do anything, but he does get targets. So I feel like we have to <laughs> – you know, in your tight end premium leagues and stuff, you know, he, he's at least up in consideration. Daryl Henderson here had 10 rushes – for 47 yards and a touchdown. Cam Akers had 15 rushes for 44 yards. They, they are, they're tricking us here, Nick. Like They gave Henderson all the work. He led, he led in snap percentage and route percentage among running backs in week one, and then Cam Akers gets five more carries than him this week. Yeah, you could kind of feel this coming during the week with McVay's quotes. Like He was like, he kind of slammed Akers after the first game, after they lost, and he's like, this guy needs to run with more urgency, needs to play better. And then you kind of like started hyping him up a little bit during the week, and you're like, "Oh God, this is going to happen, isn't it?" Akers is going to get back in the in the saddle as the one A to Henderson's one B, and that's kind of what happened. It was just he out carried him, but it was Henderson played eight more snaps and ran eleven more routes. Just Akers got three targets, Henderson got zero, but Henderson got the goal line look and scored the touchdown. So he definitely played better than Akers. Akers only averaged two point nine yards per carry. I mean, this guy just does not look the same since that torn Achilles, but they're, McVay really wants him to be that 2020 version of himself. So, I mean, he might try to will it into us, but, I mean, Henderson is definitely the guy to be playing out of this backfield, even though they're super hard to trust week to week. 
What about the other backfield here? Patterson and Algier both had 10 rushes. Patterson more efficient at 41 yards while, while Algier only had 30, but Algier was a, a healthy scratch last week. So, you know, he's active with Damian Williams now on IR, getting his debut as a rookie. Uh, what were your thoughts on this backfield? Oh, man, this is another three-headed mess, I feel like, in a bad offense. Avery Williams played 15 snaps as well. Algier played 19. Mm. Cordero Patterson played 36. Williams was taking all the two-minute usage, all the third downs and stuff. So it just it sucks that Patterson's not getting any targets now with Williams soaking up all these money snaps on, on the passing situation. So, I mean, I called Patterson a week one sell high after his big week, and, it, and this week didn't really do anything to – extinguish that idea so i think we've kind of might have missed our window selling high on patterson's big week one but i mean it's just i can't get behind three-headed backfields and bad offensive man would you be selling low on kyle pitts you had two for 19 here on three targets what's going on here yeah i mean i don't know i mean he played 57 snaps ran the most routes on the team ran one more route than drake london so he's out there a ton he's just like i don't know if defenses are like showing him like more attention and like let's leave in drake london in single coverage i don't know but drake london was the guy today i mean 12 targets eight catches 86 yards and a touchdown um i think he's got 19 targets on the season so far um to how many his pits have like 10 i think it is seven and three today so yeah 10 um man i mean i think you just have to hold on to pits right now and wait for the big game i mean you're you'd be selling at his absolute bottom right now i agree yeah uh but this is exciting to see from London, and hopefully, eventually, defenses will have to start, you know, paying a little bit more attention to London, and maybe that opens up some big plays for Pitts. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, any any other thoughts here on this uh, Falcons team that that managed 196 passing uh, from from Marcus Mariota? <laughs> <laughs> no, nothing outside of Pitts and uh, London and CPAT. <laughs> so, man, behind those guys, you got I mean, Zacchaeus caught a touchdown today, and Brian Edwards saw an end zone target. That was easily picked off by Jalen Ramsey. So you're not you're not even looking at these guys in fantasy at all. For sure. All right. Nick Menzio. Appreciate it. Thank you, sir. The Patriots defeated the Steelers 17 to 14. I covered this game, and this helped the Patriots avoid their first 0-2 start since 2001. So a big win here for the Patriots. It was not a particularly exciting win for the Patriots, not a particularly impressive win. Uh, Mac Jones had 252 yards passing and one touchdown. Uh, he connected the most with Nelson Aguilar, at least in terms of yardage, who led the team with 110 yards. He had six targets, caught all six of them. Uh, Aguilar had a really nice catch. It was, I think, more on Aguilar as, in terms of the playmaking than, than a good throw from Mac Jones. He had a 44-yard touchdown, Aguilar did, that he came up over kind of the back of the defender, kind of jumped up, grabbed the ball, able to spin around and make his way into the end zone. Really nice play. It wasn't necessarily a bad throw by Jones, but, uh, you know, credit to Aguilar there. Jacoby Myers had 13 targets, which led the team. After Aguilar's six, no other team, no other uh, Patriot had more than three. So those 13 targets for Jacoby Myers, I mean, he really was the main guy uh, that Mac Jones was looking to. But in kind of like a move the chains, move the sticks type of way, I believe he had three for 26 on the opening drive. Um, and, yeah, he's just kind of like that safety blanket type. And we know what Jacoby Myers is. You know, he gets open, 
but he has kind of a very specific, somewhat low upside role in the offense, and, and he was very much that guy again. This week, uh, not a ton else to know. Kendrick Bourne had three targets, went two for 16. I don't think you're going you're – not, you're not going down into the ancillary pieces here. If anything, you're kind of starting Jacoby Myers as like a flex that you feel confident will get you something. Even Aguilar, I think, is not really that fantasy relevant. In the backfield, Damian Harris did get in the end zone. He had three straight touches from the 10-yard line. He got the carry, uh, took him a few yards. Then he got a target, which he caught and took down to the two-yard line. Then he punched it in on another carry. So I think very encouraging for Damian Harris that he got used like that. Also encouraging that one of those was a reception. So, you know, pretty solid from Damian Harris today. Uh, He had two targets and Ramondre Stevenson had two targets. So Damian Harris, you know, kind of holding his own in the passing game compared to Stevenson. Harris went two for 16 through the air. Stevenson only won one for four. Uh, And Stevenson had nine for 47 rushing. What I will note regarding these two is that Stevenson did have 25 routes in this game. Harris only had 10. So I think that, you know, the targets probably overstate how close Harris is to Stevenson. It seemed like Stevenson really did kind of have that pass catching role. The targets didn't come today, but if he continues to have this role with Montgomery out, uh, then, you know, he, he should have a little bit more fantasy value as a, as a pass catcher, but it definitely was not that encouraging of a game for Stevenson. Pierre strong had only three snaps in this game as the running back three. So it was nice to see that this was split just between Harris and Stevenson. I think that should make us feel a little bit more bullish about Harris and Stevenson both moving forward. You're probably like kind of banking on a touchdown with these guys, but you know, at least it's just a two-way split. Uh, at least at least it'll hopefully stay that way. Uh, on the Steelers' side of the ball, Deontay Johnson's awesome. I mean, that's the biggest takeaway here. He, he's constantly making these incredible grabs that really like Trubisky is making. It's making is like, so much harder than it really has to be. Uh, but Jontae Johnson is just like, he's still delivering. So, you know, he's, he's made these great sideline grabs, uh, got a two-point conversion here. Um, and, yeah, I mean, he only had six for 57 on 10 targets, not like a big game. But that six for 57, that led the Steelers in receptions, that led them in receiving yards, 57 yards was the team lead. Uh, he didn't score. Pat Fryermuth scored the only receiving touchdown, uh, just kind of a kind of like a crossing over the middle type route that, you know, he was open on and Trubisky hit him. I think not even quite in stride. I think he was a little bit behind on the throw. But, you know, uh, Fryermuth, solid seven targets. Uh, Chase Claypool had six targets here going four for 26. George Pickens had three targets going one for 23. So it's kind of spread out in general but especially behind Johnson, uh, which is not ideal because Mitch Trubisky only threw for 168 yards. And, you know, one thing with Claypool is he didn't get a carry in this game. So before when he was like having this hybrid role in week one, it's like, well, maybe that will help with what's going to be a very unproductive passing game in most weeks. He doesn't get any carries here. So that's a problem for Claypool. It's starting to feel like really Johnson's the only guy we can trust right now. And then you look at Najee Harris, he had 15 carries going for 49 yards. He had six targets, which he took five for 40. But I mean, Harris just kind of, he like, he'll get to the outside 
and he'll convert a third down, like a third and two. But it's like it's so much kind of like he'll bulldoze a guy to get those those two yards. But, you know, this is a carry that he's already bounced out. And that's sort of like his big play. Like he gets to the outside just to smash a cornerback for, for two or three yards. We're just not seeing that much playmaking from Najee Harris, which has been the issue with him since he's entered the league. And it was the issue with him at Alabama. So it's definitely concerning. And, you know, I'm sure if he had a different quarterback and a more potent offense, it would be less of a concern. But but he doesn't right now. And I, I don't know when we're going to see Kenny Pickett. But until we do, it's hard to imagine this offense really having like a ton going on. I think they need a spark here from their quarterback, Mitch Trubisky, kind of playing. Just like, I mean, he's not playing terribly, but it's just uh, it's just kind of holding the offense back, I think. Uh, but yeah, Harris, his long rush for the day was eight. Jalen Warren actually had four carries for 15 yards, uh, and he had one target and one reception. So it wasn't quite the like, you know, complete Najee Harris show. He had 42 snaps to Jalen Warren's 17. So Warren actually did have like a little bit of involvement here, more than we're we're kind of used to, which probably relates to Harris, you know, having dealt with this list Frank issue in training camp and also, uh, you know, having that, that ankle injury scare last week. So would imagine that Harris's snaps kind of trend back up and they'll certainly need to, unless we get a change of quarterback, which, which would hopefully add a little bit more potency to this offense for now, Deontay Johnson is going to keep getting open and I think worth keeping your lineups. But yeah, I mean, you know, George Pickens, 36 routes here to Deontay Johnson's 38. Chase Claypool also ran 38. So these guys are out there. But, you know, with things being spread out, with Fryermuth earning a little bit of volume, can't really trust any Steelers other than Deontay Johnson and Najee Harris. But that will do it for the Week 2 recap show. Thanks, everyone, for listening. I'm excited to recap Week 3 for you guys next Sunday night. Uh, join us then.